Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and my guest today is Wayne Mullins. He is the CEO and founder of Ugly Mug Marketing. I love that name. We've talked about this before. He is also the author of Full Circle Marketing. Now, Wayne was my guest about a year or so ago when we discussed why your marketing isn't working and how to fix it. And that episode is well worth a listen, so be sure to look for it wherever you consume your favorite business podcasts. There's also a link in the show notes here. So today, Wayne joins me to talk about Full Circle Full Circle Marketing, and in his new book, which, by the way, is right here on my desk, he says that people assume that marketing has to be expensive, complex, and complicated, and he's going to share with us why that's just not the case and how to be strategic with your marketing efforts, and further, and I need to go a bit further with this, in the, the dust jacket, it says that during our time together, his job is to show you a process that can make your marketing both simple and effective, and notice that he's not saying simple or effective. So we're going to talk about that as well. Wayne, good morning. Thank you for being with us again. Good morning, Denise. Thank you so much for having me back on the show, and I'm delighted for our conversation today. Me too. And you're not that far away from me. I'm in southwest Louisiana. You're over there by Shreveport, I think. Where are you exactly? We're in the same same state, which is unusual. It is, yeah. We are actually in Alexandria, Louisiana. Alexandria. Right, I knew. I started to say it's Alec, it's not Shreveport. Okay. No, no. Close close enough. We're we're definitely kind of north uh west from where you are, so we're up in that area. Yeah, you get to stay a bit drier than we do. It's always wet or roofs are coming off. Yeah, I lost my roof in the last bout of hurricanes. So, well, I'm so glad you're here. And I love this book. I, You know, you sent it to me last week and I've already gone through it. And listen, I agree with you. Marketing, I think, suffers. This is just my observation over the years that I've been doing kind of the same type. We do largely the same type of work. A new the shiny object syndrome is a terrible problem. Everybody has it. I've been guilty of it. So let's talk about. Well, first of all, before I get too too far in the weeds here, tell people a little bit about you and what in the heck is Ugly Mug Marketing? I love that name. And then let's get into why marketing doesn't need to be that darn difficult. Absolutely. Well, you know, my background, Denise, actually. Um, started in terms of marketing about 20 years ago. Uh, it was 20 years ago that I decided that I was going to start my own business. Um, and over the course of growing that company and struggling like so many entrepreneurs do, um, we struggle to kind of figure out what works, what doesn't work, how do we you know, make a name for ourselves in the marketplace, how do we stand out from all the competition and all the competitors that are out there. And so really it was – through that experience or through that journey for myself of starting from zero and, you know, going up against competitors in our local market and trying to, to stand out, that I became, and I think more importantly, a practitioner of marketing. Um, I took this stance very early on that marketing should be an experiment and marketing should always lead to the thing that produces the highest ROI. In other words, if I'm going to invest the dollar in the thing, whatever that marketing thing may be, I want to ensure that dollar gives me back as much money as possible. And so I viewed it as my job to to do exactly that, to experiment, to test, to try different things. And through all of those efforts, um, you know, it, it wasn't overnight by any stretch of the imagination, but through those efforts and through that mentality of um, continual experimentation that the company started doing well. We started getting traction. We started growing fairly quickly. And it was a result of that growth over about a three-year period that a lot of our clients 
um, actually started coming to us and saying, hey, we see how quickly your business is growing. What are you doing? How are you marketing your company? Um, what are the things that we should be doing to do the same in our businesses? And, and here's the crazy thing, Denise. That first business had nothing to do with marketing, meaning we didn't, we didn't sell marketing at all. We were actually a lawn and landscape company. So we were out you know, cutting grass and maintaining flower beds and doing landscaping. Um, but yet these other businesses were coming to me saying, how are you growing? What are you doing? Can you, can you help us do the same? And the answer was just simply this. It was marketing. Marketing was the thing that we were doing that was producing those results. So if you fast forward just a few years past that, um, out of those conversations, this idea came that, you know, maybe there's a business here. Maybe there's an opportunity to actually help other people learn to effectively market. From those conversations, Ugly Mug Marketing would, would finally be born. Ugly Mug, where did it come from? Every time I see that name, I, it's an involuntary grin sneaks across my face. I can't help <laughs> it. Yeah, so the name actually comes from a quote. Um, in the study of marketing and in kind of my passion and diving into this, this whole uh, area or whole field of marketing, there's a gentleman by the name of David Ogilvy. Now, David Ogilvy uh, wasn't born here in America. He came over from, I believe it's from uh, Ireland, and he came over to the United States back in the 50s or early 60s, and his background was what's called direct response marketing. So he comes over to New York City. And he has this one goal, and his one goal is to build the world's largest ad agency. That was his passion. That was what he was after. And it wasn't because he necessarily wanted the world's largest ad agency. It's just he had this fundamental belief that everybody or the vast majority of people were approaching marketing wrong. They were doing it incorrectly. And so he wanted to help as many people kind of you know, transform the way they view marketing. Well, David had this quote. That was, I would rather an ad that's ugly and effective rather than one that's beautiful and ineffective. And so our name, Ugly Mug Marketing, is really just a kind of a play off of that quote. It just says to us, every time we hear our name, every time we see our name, um, and what we truly stand for is this, that we don't want to get wrapped up in what's beautiful, what's shiny, what may win an award, may not win an award. We don't want to pursue those things. Instead, we want to focus on the results our clients come to us for. So that's, that's how the name came to be. And I love that story. Years ago, when I, I think before we started our businesses about the same time, and I really don't watch TV. I've never enjoyed it. Give me a stack of books. I'm happy. Make me watch a TV. I'll go wash dishes. I'm not going to do it. But I remember there was, and you're talking about ugly marketing or ugly mug marketing. There was this commercial, and I'm sure this man is long gone. You know, I can't imagine that he's even still alive, but he was talking about tires. It was a tire company, and he wore a bright red jacket and strong Cajun accent, and I've never forgotten this man. I've never forgotten that company, and I haven't seen these ads in oh, two decades or better, but he would throw his arms out in front of a stack of tires. He said, tires ain't purdy, but you got to have them. How can you forget that? Tires ain't purdy, but you got to have them. <laughs> and I'm you, it was about the ugliest commercial. It was just awful. It was, you know, me being me, you know, you know, wiping surfaces down and cleaning things all the time. I was like, oh, my God, who put him in front of a camera? And not too long later, I went, oh, I get it. His message was in your face, and it wasn't purdy, but, boy, do you not forget it. So I understand Ugly Mug Marketing. I really do. Yeah, I, I love that story because what it, what it does is just illustrates that whole idea, the things that stick, the things that stick in our heads, you know, and in, which from, sounds like from what you're just sharing with that story, that was years and years ago. That it was. It was 20 years or longer. Yeah, had to and, be. but for, for us, we often get in this idea that, you know, if we do something that's out there, something that's kind of in your face or something that stands out too much from what everyone else is doing, 
people are going to think we're crazy or they're going to think we're weird or they're going to think we're strange or, you know, we, we run all these things through our heads. But, you know, one of the, I guess, most important pieces of, of marketing is this, that if you don't capture attention of an audience, it doesn't matter what else you do. It doesn't matter how great your service is. It doesn't matter how fantastic your product is. If you don't capture that initial attention, you're going to slowly, you know, go out of business. You're going to run out of, out of, out of money because you're not selling anything. So it's a very important lesson. It's a simple lesson, but it's often those simple lessons, those simple things, Denise, that I think that, you know, we, we love to complicate things. I think we have this, you know, as marketers, we often are so um, subject to complexity bias. We, we almost believe somehow that, you know, if something's so simple, there's no way it can be good or there's no way it can be effective. And so we end up looking for these complex things or these, you know, multi-step things or these things that require a lot of time, attention, and effort and money often and instead, if we would just go back to these fundamentals, these fundamentals of, of really just human psychology, uh, and in so many instances, just common sense, right? We know yeah. that we have to stand out. We know we have to capture the attention if, we have, if we're going to have any hope of success. And I'm so glad you're saying that right now. I'm looking at the podcast industry who is – it's huge. The podcast industry is a massive way to get your voice heard, to be heard in a sea of voices. But I belong to a couple of um, Facebook groups, and I'm telling you, Wayne, I will never need a facelift because I look at some of these comments and advice, and people have been a podcaster for oh, three minutes, and they're giving all kinds of very expensive and active, dangerous advice. And my eyebrows will hit my hairline. I look permanently surprised like I just had a really bad face. <laughs> yeah. And there are so many of them. The big thing is, how do I get sponsors? Well, put out a good show. How do you know? How much money should I spend on equipment? None. Use your phone and a nineteen-dollar pair of headsets. Come on, it doesn't need to be that darn difficult. And it makes me so sad. But you're talking about complexity bias, and right now the podcast industry is terribly infected with that, and it's a shame. It really is. And, you know, I think, you know, you, you didn't directly say this, but one of the things that, that I observe um, in kind of the work that we do is this, this I, don't, I don't even know what the right term would be, but this, this constant um, desire for the next thing, right, for the, the next hack or the next trick or the next tactic that's going to somehow magically just transform what we do. You know, so if you're, if your example, you're thinking, you're talking about the podcast world, you know, it's as if we're, we're on this quest or on this journey to find this magic thing that's going to somehow magically take us from, you know, our first episode to our second episode is going to have a million downloads. Right. And what we, what we know to be true, right, um, we know that that's not the way success works. That's not the way that growth happens. Sure, there are the, the one in a million, um, you know, people who happen to have something take place. And, you know, what happens then, you know, if we're going to use the podcasting example, what, what happens for that person who, you know, their second show, they end up, you know, it blows up and somehow gets, you know, millions of downloads or whatever. What then happens is the media then flocks to these gurus. They flock to these people who happen to have, you know, in many instances, just gotten lucky, right? The right timing, the right connection, the right this or that took place. But all the media then flocks to these people and they put them up on this pedestal as a guru. And they say, oh, tell us, tell us a wise one. How did you do this, right? What was your secret? What, what did you do to actually catapult yourself to success so quickly? And so we then, if, if we're in that situation, right, if we're the one on that pedestal, it forces us to look back and try to figure out what were the things that actually caused this to happen. And what I find this to be so true is that instead of actually identifying the true causes of what enabled that success, whether it's the podcasting world, the marketing world, the business world, it doesn't matter. 
what happens when we look backwards at that and try to identify is we find things that are corollary. In other words, here's the things we were doing in the process of that quote unquote success taking place. And in reality, it, it's very often that those corollary events had really nothing to do with the cause, right, of what actually took place that, that created that seemingly overnight success for those gurus. So, yeah, I, I see it all the time, Denise, in the business world particularly. You know, people look around, they find a competitor who seems to be doing well, and then they attempt to, you know, copy what they're doing. And so we end up with all these industries with, um, you know, marketplace incest in terms of their marketing. They all <laughs> look the same. They're all doing the same things, right? It's just, it's a, it's a disaster. I mean, it is. It really is, and it's just, it's just wrong. I mean, we start our businesses hopefully because we love what we do. We love how we can be of assistance to other people. We love how we can actually show up and do things and, you know, be a strong business leader and example, make money. Obviously, we, you know, open our businesses to to be profitable, but we do it because we love it. And I think, this is just my observation, I think if you are coming to somebody like me or you, Wayne, and said, okay, you know, I've got this widget and I need to sell a million of these by Wednesday, I'll move you along. I can't help you. If you don't have any kind of consistent plan or consistent marketing or consistency in the marketplace, you're pipe dreaming. Take a seat. Sit down and think about what you've done. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure you deal with this as well, Denise, and that kind of that same thing is this, that, you know, people come to us, you know, so as marketers, they come to us and they, like you were saying, they want our help. And, you know, often they come to us with unrealistic expectations. Right. You know, we want to we sell a million copies or a million units or, you know, whatever it is. We want to quadruple our sales in the next six months or whatever it may be. And the problem is, and, and you were just talking about this, is that um, they come to us with very short-term thinking. And so when we approach our marketing or even when we approach our businesses with short-term thinking, what it forces us to do is to grasp and to create short-term strategies. And I use the term strategy there very loosely because really what we're doing is we're, we're grabbing for the latest and greatest tactic or the latest and greatest hack you know, that someone's talking about. And what we, what we intuitively know, like all of us know this to be true, that if we want long-term success in, in life, in business, in marketing, in whatever area, we can't only be focused on short-term hack type of things, right, tactical type of things. Instead, we need to be more strategic. We need to think more long-term. We need to say, okay, this is not necessarily about a sprint for the next six months. This is a marathon. If I want long-term success in my business, this is a marathon. Therefore, I need strategies that are going to enable me, yes, to grow, yes, to get better, yes, to do all of those things that we want to do with our businesses, right? You know, better sales, better profits, all those things. But those things are byproducts of long-term thinking, and long-term strategies. And I wanted to talk with you about strategies because in the pages of Full Circle Marketing, you talk about two fundamental, two, just two, two fundamental marketing strategies that work every single time they're used. And in many ways, you say that these two, that's important, everybody hear this, two fundamental strategies are like natural laws. So let's dig into that because that fascinates me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what I, what I believe to be true about marketing is this, that at the end of the day, marketing is really just a combination of psychology and math. So on the psychology side, you know, marketing, our job is to uh, persuade people. Our job is to educate people. Our job is to move people through a certain cycle to get them to, you know, grab their wallets, pull it out, 
exchange their, their hard-earned money for our products, our services, or, or whatever it is that we provide. And so when we view marketing in that, in those, in that light, right, so number one is psychology. Um, number two, math, just simply meaning this, that if you're going to be effective at marketing, if you're going to be strategic with your marketing, if you are ready to give up um, on the frustration and the anxiety and the stress that comes from unpredictable marketing or, you know, marketing that works sometimes, doesn't work other times, um, we have to hold every dollar accountable, right? We can't just throw money at the problem, throw money out there and say, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to do this marketing thing, we're going to try this Facebook thing or this Instagram thing or, you know, this radio thing, whatever it may be. We can't just haphazardly throw money around and say, well, I'm doing all these marketing things and then complain that they're not working. You see, if we aren't strategic and we don't follow some very core basic you know, psychology, um, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment, frustration, and we'll fall into that boat, which so many entrepreneurs fall in, which is they don't know if their marketing is working or not. Uh, and they have no way of holding their marketing accountable. And so in the book, I really outline two frameworks that, that you just talked about. Um, and, you know, this doesn't just come from, you know, I wasn't sitting around just thinking, you know, what, what's a framework that we can create to, you know, put in a book and make it clever. This really comes out of the last 20 years of being entrenched in marketing, 20 years of Yes, looking at what all the gurus, quote-unquote gurus, I use that term very loosely, are, are talking about, right? It's, it's actually getting some of their products, seeing what they're doing, um, but then stepping back and saying, okay, what is true throughout time? What is true about marketing throughout human history? And the first framework, if you, if you like, I'll just kind of briefly run through that. If that works. Yes, yes, please do. And you said something, I wrote it down. You said something to me that really grabbed my attention. And when you said, let's try this Facebook thing, don't try. Have a strategy. So keep on going, Wayne. You're, I'm fast. I'm writing notes like crazy. No, and that, that is true. Again, not to, not to go backwards, but what you just said is so, so important. I appreciate you jotting that down and slowing me down to come back to that. Um, when we try things, when we grasp things, um, what we're doing is we're I – I love the analogy of we're like throwing spaghetti against the wall, the wall. to see what yeah. sticks. I was thinking yeah, exactly and, that. It's a spaghetti strategy. It doesn't work ever. You have a mess to clean up, and somebody's going to be mad because they have to repaint the ceiling or the wall. So don't do it. Exactly. So – you know, people come to us and, and they'll say things like, you know, well, we tried Facebook. It doesn't work for us. And, you know, or name the platform. It doesn't matter. It could be television, radio, print, direct mail. It, it doesn't matter. You know, we'll have clients tell us, you know, I tried that thing and it doesn't work for us. And so we'll, we'll start peeling back the layers and asking questions. Well, tell me how that fit into your overall marketing strategy or overall marketing system. And, they just stare. They don't know. Like, yeah, they don't have any idea. Yeah, what do you, what do you mean? And here's what we, we find that's so sad, Denise, is this, that um, so often the strategy that a lot of businesses, entrepreneurs out there have is what we call the best deal strategy. And so what happens is, you know, entrepreneurs, business owners, they're busy doing lots of things. Um, and then once a month or so, these ad reps come in from television, radio, billboards, you, you name it, print, media. They come in and they say, oh, Mr. Entrepreneur, Mr. Entrepreneur, we've got this amazing promo we're running right now. You know, you can get X, Y, and Z spots. We'll double it. We'll triple it. We'll, we'll throw in all these other things for you. Um, does that sound good to you? And because we're busy as entrepreneurs, business owners, we say, yeah, you know what? That does sound good. I, I meant to be intentional about my marketing, but ran out of time. So, yeah, that sounds great. Let's let's go for it. And so the rep then says, "Okay, perfect. We'll we'll get this going for you. What do you want the actual ad to say?" And the business owner, entrepreneur, looks back and says, 
oh, you know, I really, I, I don't have time to think about that right now. If you could go put something together for me, bring it back, I'll look at it, and we'll go from there. And so what we end up with are month after month, we, we change our quote-unquote strategy, and I use that term very loosely, based on which rep has the best deal for that month. And so then we get to the point where we say, this marketing stuff just doesn't work. We throw up our hands. And the reality is we've never had a marketing strategy. We've never put our marketing through a proven framework. So long-winded answer or response to, to kind of your note there, but I think it's so important. I think you're, the point you brought up there is so, so important. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And this actually, a story very similar to that is why I started my web development company. Because, you know, I was building a website for a friend of mine who was also a partner in my, my jewelry store. And he said, well, you know, Yellow Page or somebody, some rep came by and said, oh, you know, we just built you a little website. Here it is. I said, okay, where is it? He didn't know. Went to find the rep. The rep had moved on to radio or somewhere else. Go find your rep, guys. They're never there. Trust me, they're gone. So I was so incensed, you know, that he had gotten sucked into this very expensive thing that he didn't know how to access it, couldn't find anybody to make any edits to it. This was before WordPress. And I went, oh, no, 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 no. This is not right. And I started building websites before WordPress, when WordPress came along, I was like, oh, there is a God, because it's magic. You can change them on the fly. You don't have to have your web developer do it if you know what you're doing. But, you know, when I realized what reps were doing, and they were just doing their job. I'm not saying they're bad people, but they were doing exactly what you're talking about. Whatever the best deal is, whatever sounds good, sign here, see you later. You never see that guy again. That's the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the sad thing is you and I, because of the businesses that we're in, um, we see the, the downfall or the, 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 thing that, you know, the things that trickle down the hill, that fall down the hill as a result of those decisions that business owners make, right? We, we see the fact that they end up paying for something that's completely useless. Um, yep. They end up yep. running ads, running campaigns that – really are doing nothing more than honestly putting money in the, the media company's pocket, the sales rep's pocket. Um, you know, it is our responsibility as entrepreneurs, as business owners, um, regardless of the, the company, but it's our responsibility to be, to kind of stand in the place of the chief marketing officer, right? We need to have the pulse on. We need to have our finger on what is taking place because marketing is really the lifeblood of a business, right? I know some people say sales is the lifeblood of the business, but at the end of the day, if you have your marketing system in place, you know, I, I sincerely believe that when a marketing system is in place and it's, and it's done correctly, marketing can make the sales job unnecessary, meaning by the time they get through our marketing system or our marketing funnel, there's no need for us to try to persuade, convince, to twist their arm, to you know, beg and plead for them to buy our product or service because our marketing system has done all of the work for us. Well, let's talk about that marketing system because I'm actually I'm flipping around here and I'm in Chapter 3. So where do you want to start with the AIDA? Where would you like to start with this? Yeah, let's, let's yeah, dive in let's there. Dive I, think in there. I think that's a great fundamental place to begin. Okay, great. So there's, again, two frameworks that are laid out in this book, and, and they work. If you use them, they work every single time. Now, does that mean they're going to produce the most amazing results every single time? No, but they're going to give us feedback. They're going to enable us to, to see the results, to make adjustments at very specific places, and then see the results again make adjustments. So let's dive into the first one. Um, I call it AIDA, um, and it's just A-I-D-A, A-I-D-A. And so each of these letters stand for something. There's that fancy word that I always for, forget. It's a, um, what's it mean when each of the letters stand for something? Um, oh, don't ask me because I have a word. response. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh gosh, I know, I know what it, it's not an anagram. I'll keep talking; it'll come to me. Yeah, it's, it's one of those words I can always think of, except for when I, I need to think of it. Exactly, and now <laughs> I'm infected. So <laughs> keep talking; it'll come. Oh, good. Yep. So AIDA is what I call it, and so AIDA is this this whole framework that actually began. It was first written about, first talked about way back in 1910. So think about that. More than 100 years ago, this whole concept, this whole framework came into existence. And let me just briefly walk you through what each of these letters mean, and then we can come back and, and talk through them in as much detail as you'd like. So Perfect. the very first one, the first letter, is attention. It stands for attention. And what we say here is where attention goes, money flows. And you and I, Denise, talked about this you know, a little bit earlier in our conversation today, and that is when you were talking about the tire commercial, what was so brilliant about that commercial, and I've never seen it, but it captured attention, right? It stood out from all the other commercials that were on television. So first A is attention. Next, we're going to move to the I, which is interest. And this is a very important distinction here, is that people are interested in their interests, not in our products or service. So let me say that one more time. People are interested in their interests, not in our products or services. And I think if we're not careful, sometimes we believe, we, we fall under this illusion that people are in love with our product or in love with our service, but the reality is they're in love with the thing that they're interested in. So let me just use a quick example there. Imagine that you were a golfer, you love golf, right? It would be deceptive for us to believe that uh, a golfer loves our particular golf clubs. Now, sure, they may like our golf clubs, they may use our golf clubs, they may you know, have a couple of sets of our golf clubs, but the reality is they're infinitely more interested in golf than our particular clubs. So if a competitor comes along with a better club, a club that they feel works better for them, they've not lost their interest in golf. Instead, they found a new product that better serves their particular interest. So that's an important distinction when we think about our marketing. So again, the first A is attention, the I is interest, then the D is desire. Desire is this this knowledge that something better is possible. So when we think about our prospects out there in the marketplace, um, what we want to do is we want to understand how to evoke desire within them. In other words, how does our product help them fulfill or help them, um, you know, satiate a particular desire? And we can come back and dive into that in more detail if you'd like. And then the last yeah. A, so in AIDA, is action. We have to have a clear path for them to know exactly what to do next. We need to make sure in all of our marketing messages, there's a very clear path. There's a very clear set of instructions or directions or intent in terms of what we want them to do next in order to work with us or to purchase or to, you know, whatever that next step is, volunteer, whatever it may be. So that's just a quick overview. Now, you know, as I walk through those, you're, you know, somebody listening may be thinking, okay, that's great. Those are words. They, they don't really mean much. But the power of this concept, AIDA, is this, that, Denise, you and I could take any particular campaign. It doesn't matter if it's billboard. It doesn't matter television, Facebook, TikTok. It doesn't matter. The, the, the media, the medium does not matter. If we walk through these four letters and we create our campaigns around this, it will completely transform the way we actually create the campaigns. And here's just a super quick walkthrough of that. And again, we can go back and go into more detail if you'd like, but super quick walkthrough would be this. Our first job of our campaign, regardless of platform, we have to capture attention. Because if we don't capture attention, if we're not like the tower commercial that you mentioned, right, we just blend in with all the other commercials on television and we're forgotten about. We're never even noticed. So number one, how do we capture attention with whatever platform we're using? Number two, how do we pique their interest? Like how do we get them interested 
And again, it's based on their interest, right? And so if you think back to the tire commercial, what was so brilliant about that, and I really appreciate you bringing that example up, is this. They understood that no one is overly interested in tires. So what did they do? They basically joked about it and said, you know, no one necessarily loves tires. I don't remember the exact verbiage that you used, but no one loves tires. Tires but ain't you pretty, but you got to have them. <laughs> tires ain't exactly. pretty. <laughs> Acronym, that's the word we were looking for. That is the word. Thank you. Yeah, that is it. Um, and so what they do is they pique your interest around that. In other words, we, we know tires ain't pretty, but you got to have them. So let's look at the next letter. The next, the next uh, letter there is D, desire, right? So tires is a difficult one because do people truly desire to go buy new tires? No. No, not necessarily. I have to put have four to brand new tires on my car, and they're, I'm not going to tell you what they're going to cost. I think I wept a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I can understand that. It, it's one of those things like um, – you know, it's kind of like having to have work done on your air conditioner at your home or, yeah. you know, plumbing work done. It's like, oh, my goodness, it's a necessity, but we certainly don't want to do it. But we have to evoke this desire. We have to speak to the desire that something better is possible. So I don't know enough about the, the tire commercial to know if they spoke to desire, if they spoke to the fact that, you know, we guarantee you to get you in and out super quick because, again, we know no one wants to, to deal with tires or the desire to not overpay for tires, right, to give you a great deal on tires. I don't even remember. I just remember him flinging his arms open and with that red jacket and hollering at us that tires weren't purdy. I will never forget that, but I don't remember the rest of it. Yeah. Well, again, that was, you said, probably 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, since you've seen it, but again, when we think through today, how would we, how would you, how would someone listening, how do we speak to that desire? How do we evoke that desire within them? Um, and, you know, there, there's lots of examples we could, we could give. We could walk through, um, you know, Apple is a, is a company that is very clever in the way they evoke desire amongst their followers, right? So they do these live events, and they, they really, if you look at those events, all they're doing is evoking desire, stirring up desire for the latest, the greatest, the fastest, the most amazing thing that we've got. Um, and then, you know, once, you, once you've got the desire, this is probably the last letter or the last word here, action. This, honestly, Denise, is probably the one that most people overlook. Um, we are terrible about giving people clear, specific next steps, right? Right. You know, Instructions, call to action. Average, average, right. That, that's the magic word. Call our magic words. Call to action. Um, it's, so, it's so often that we see ads or campaigns where, yes, people will put their phone number or they'll put their web address, but we don't specifically tell the viewer or the person reading the material what do we want them to do, right? We just put it up there and assume that they know what to do. But again, if we follow those first three words correctly, we need to then say, okay, now here's exactly what to do next. Here's the steps you need to take, you know, today, tomorrow, next week, next year, whenever it is that we're trying to get them to take this action, that is the key ingredient, is that call to action. And sadly, it's left off so often. And I can't figure out why that happens. And, you know, you know this, I know this. People will skim something. They think they're reading it, but they'll skim it. And unless you, and I love this term, I use it a lot in terms of podcasting, keep it simple, stupid. And I see you use it in your book as well. You have to, in a lot of web copy and a lot of marketing copy, and I'm not calling people, neither are you, but you have to keep it Homer Simpson stupid. Simple. You know, make it easy. Yeah. You know, click here, get our PDF. Click here, we'll call you back. Make it simple, make it quick, make it easy. If you don't do that, you've wasted attention, interest, and desire. Because now people are like, oh, that's cute, and off they go. 
Yeah, and that that's exactly it. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that. That is that is the dilemma that so often we get those first three elements right, we leave out that fourth one, and then we start wondering, well, why, you know, why didn't it work? Isn't what happened? Things, you know, right. What happened? That's exactly it. And so this, what what we love about this framework and what, you know, our clients, once they start walking through this framework, what we love about it is it gives you four distinct points to diagnose what is working and what isn't working, right? So when we run a campaign, when we put something out there in the world, we can then get the feedback, get the data, which goes back to kind of that math, you know, how many phone calls did it generate or how many web visitors did it generate or whatever the data is. And then we can begin breaking down and saying, okay, where are people not following through? Where are we missing the mark? We capture attention, right? And so we can judge attention based on, you know, certain math equations. In other words, total number of impressions to the next metric down, which maybe clicks to the website. Did we actually capture enough attention to get them to click? Then when we get them to the website, did we actually, once we had them there, did we actually keep their attention? Did we keep them on the page? Did we get them to click through to the next thing? Did we evoke a desire, right? Did we get them desiring our products? And if so, did we give them that clear call to action so that we can then measure the number of people who clicked or filled out the form or made the phone call, you know, whatever the thing may be. So, Wayne, I, and I can hear people going, okay, but what's my first step? I think, and I'm just taking a, a wild guess here, my, I'm thinking that you need to really, before you maybe hire you or bring somebody in or fire your, you know, Fiverr marketing person, that you sit down with your numbers and you figure out what are we doing, where are we spending, where are we spending, you know, throwing spaghetti, what is working, what's not, and how do I find help if I can't do this all by myself? How far off am I? No, you were you spot on. Um, you know, the, the thing that I would say is that when people sit down to look at their marketing budget, some questions that you should be asking are, are number one, if I were to break this into buckets or into categories, so let's say we do – I'm just going to make up a few things here. Let's say we spend some money on the Internet. So that would be web and maybe some Facebook ads or, you know, Instagram or whatever that may be. Maybe we have another bucket that is direct mail. So we're mailing out to prospects or, you know, previous customers. And then maybe we have another bucket that is, you know, you name it. It's another marketing bucket, radio, television, et cetera. We then have to evaluate. Okay. okay. Get on people's podcasts. 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 Yeah, you know, look at you. Exactly. You're here. I have a giant audience. A lot of people are going to hear you. Get on podcast. Start That's a podcast. Exactly. Get your voice heard. Okay, I'm through. <laughs> I just jumped on. No, no, it, it's so true. My little horse there. But then <laughs> we then have to evaluate though each of those buckets and say, okay, what was the ROI? What was the actual return on investment in each of these buckets? And here, Denise, is is the sad reality. This is where the whole conversation falls apart because on our P&L statements, our profit and loss statements, there's just one line item typically for marketing or advertising, and everything gets clustered or clumped under that one category. And we don't, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as marketers, we don't do a good job of giving each of those buckets very specific tasks and then measuring against that task, right? So if, if our budget for the web-related things is X dollars, what is the task for those dollars? What are we getting? What are we wanting to get in return for those dollars? Because when we cluster everything together, we clump everything together, it's not an effective way to truly determine what's working and what isn't. And that's where I think, you know, there's that old kind of joke that half my marketing dollars are wasted. The problem is I just don't know which half. And it's because we don't do a good job of breaking them down and then giving each dollar a responsibility. Okay, I'm 
and I'm reading. I'm not ignoring you because I'm now I've moved to your first campaign, so we're going to get there. And that's where I noticed that you've used my favorite term, keep it simple, stupid. But you're right. We, And I've been guilty of this because I will put my marketing bucket in one thing because, yeah, in my mind, I think I know where it's all going because I'm doing a lot of the work myself. But when I started breaking it down, I went, oh, my goodness. I mean, somebody was going to places that I wasn't moving anywhere. I was I was having fun with it. I complicated it. I was having a good old time with it. Didn't work. And I know better. So that was really frustrating. I know better. Didn't make any difference. I did it anyway. So I had to get out of that habit of, of not looking at where my budget was going, who was doing what, what the strategies were. And was there an ROI or was I just kind of going, hmm, well, you know, next month will be better. I'm not alone in that. I know a lot of people do the same darn thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Denise, the, the reality is that we are busy, right? So all of yes. us, everyone listening, it's never been busier. Our lives are moving at however it's possible. They're moving at faster pace than ever before. And, you know, so from that perspective, of course we're going to let things slide. Of course we're going to often take the path of least resistance. But here's my plea to everyone listening is this, that, again, marketing is the lifeblood of your business, of your organization. And you can't haphazardly just use the spaghetti strategy that we talked about earlier, throw stuff against the wall and hope it sticks. If you're going to devote time, attention, and effort to anything in the business, it needs to be in the marketing, because again, the marketing is the lifeblood. As it goes with the marketing, so it goes with the rest of your business. And you know, I I wish that I could stand here or or you know sit here as we speak and say you know we get this perfect every single time and you know we we do it absolutely the right way and everybody else does it the wrong way you know, but that's not true. What we do and what we encourage all of our clients and, you know, everyone we interact with is this, to begin taking intentional steps to hold each dollar accountable, each marketing dollar, hold it accountable. And so take baby steps. Um, you know, don't, don't try to go in and completely reorchestrate, reorganize all of your marketing that you've been doing. Instead, choose one category and say, okay, my focus for the next month or the next two months, whatever it may be, is going to be we're going to hold every single dollar that we spend on web. We're going to hold it accountable. Now, does that mean that all of a sudden every campaign that you do on web is going to start performing better? No, of course not. But what it does mean is it, it means you're going to be examining the results that come from that. You're going to begin managing and measuring those dollars. And I think it was Peter Drucker who said, you know, what gets measured can get managed. I probably butchered that quote somewhat, but what, what you measure, you can then manage. But if you're not measuring it, you can't manage it. So step one is we have to begin measuring the results that our dollars are producing. Okay. And I was just – you ought to see my scribbles. I hope I can read them. Um <laughs> I mean, I'm scribbling like a crazy person here. When when we first started talking here, we we talked about two fundamental strategies. I think we've covered one of them largely. If we haven't, let's go ahead and continue that conversation. And then what is the second strategy? Sure. Yeah, so the second strategy um, is more of a, a big picture framework in terms of the marketing system itself. So the first one, AIDA is really about how do we actually write the copy, how do we write the ads, or how do we design the things that are going to be done, right, so that we're speaking to each of those desires and emotions and bringing people to a call to action. The second one is more systemic. It's, um, it's one that kind of shows the flow of people that move through the business. And we call this the natural progression. And the reason we call it that is because it is the way that humans naturally make purchasing decisions. Right, Chapter 4. So if you, I actually, before yeah. I even asked you that, I had turned to Chapter 4, and here we go. That is it. And so, 
you know, the best way I can paint this picture is this, Denise. If you think of an old circular clock hanging up on the wall, you know, one of the ones with the hour hand, the second hand, and the minute hand, um, up at the 12 o'clock spot, we would have out there in the world what we would call strangers. So strangers are not just anyone who doesn't know about your company, your product, or service. Strangers specifically are the people who we believe could benefit from our product or service, but yet they still don't know about us. So those are strangers. Now, down at the 3 o'clock spot on the clock, so if you think of that clock hanging up on the wall, down at the 3 o'clock spot, we have friends. So friends are people out there who know about us. They like us a little bit, right? So they know about our product or service, and they at least like us. Um, you know, there's some examples that we could dive into of people who may never like us. So if you are in the cattle industry, um, you know, someone who's vegan may never like your product. If you sell beef, for example, they're probably never going to like you or your business or what it is that you do. That's okay. That's completely fine, right? We're not going to spend our time trying to convince them to give up their beliefs just so they'll become a customer of ours. So those are friends. I read that three o'clock spot. Down at the six o'clock spot, those would be customers. So it's at the six o'clock spot that we actually transform these friends, the people who know about us, who like us, um, and they become customers. They pull out their wallet, they hand us money. Now the, the big ingredient here between moving from a friend to a customer is this magic word called trust. And we love to say, Denise, we love to say, where trust goes, money flows. So if people don't trust that our product or service or company is going to deliver what we say it's going to deliver, they're never going to pull out that wallet and hand us the money. So again, 12 o'clock spot, just a quick recap. We have strangers, and in order to move strangers down to the 3 o'clock spot of friends, we have to get them to know about us. We have to get them to like us a little bit. And then to move people from 3 o'clock, which is friends, down to 6 o'clock, which is customers, they have to, we have to increase that liking. In other words, they have to believe um, more in our product or service, which that key word there is trust. They have to trust that it's going to deliver. And then at that point, we create customers. Now, Denise, for most people, that is where marketing ends. They're like, okay, we're done. That's great. We, we've gotten, you know, we've made the person or we've gotten the person to the point where they pull out their wallet. They hand us money. We can go out and look for more strangers, right, more people to bring through this, this process. And this is what I would say. If that is your approach, you are leaving so much money on the table, and you are extremely short-sighted in your marketing plan. Because over at the 9 o'clock spot on our clock is what we would call evangelists. That's where the evangelists are. Now, to move someone from a customer to an evangelist, there's one core ingredient that we need there, and that ingredient is love. And what I mean by that is not necessarily this touchy-feely type of thing, but the customer needs to love our product, our service, our organization so much so that they're willing to then go tell other people about it. And we don't have time to dive into all the details here, but Exceeding expectations is one of the most fundamental things you can do to create that love, to over-deliver, right? Under-promise, over-deliver goes a long way in creating that love. Now, last thing, I'll, I'll just kind of conclude with this. If you think of that clock again, so at 12 o'clock, we got strangers. Our goal is to move them to 3 o'clock, which they become friends. We have to get them to know about us and like us. Then we have to move them from friends to customers. And again, the core ingredient there is trust. We move them from the, the customer spot, which is down at 6 o'clock, up to the 9 o'clock spot, which is where they become evangelists for us, our products, our services. And then if we create evangelists, Denise, this is where the power of the natural progression really comes in. If we create evangelists, they will then go out and tell their friends, their family members, their relatives, their coworkers, the people they know, they will go out and tell them about us. And so what happens is, is it draws a line from the 9 o'clock spot straight over to the 3 o'clock spot. So in other words, they are going directly to their friends, their family members, the coworkers. It's bypassing all the strangers out there in the world 
And if we do this correctly, it actually does create this kind of perpetual motion marketing machine that is constantly giving us new leads, giving us new followers, giving us new people who are interested in what it is that we provide. And Wayne, that is absolutely true. I've proven that time and time again in my business. And we are in what I've for a long time called the no like and trust economy. But I think what you said just now is so important that so many people forget that they they don't need to go out and find, you know, buckets of new clients or I don't clients, consumers, whatever you want. Don't forget about your warm market, your friends, people who really love what you do. Don't ignore them. You will do so at your own peril. Yeah, it's so true, and I, I completely agree with that. We, you know, one of the litmus tests we love to give clients um, is this. So if you think of that same clock and you were to draw a line straight down the middle from 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock, everything over on the right-hand side of that is on the attracting side. In other words, that's where we're doing all the things that we do to try to attract people to you know, pull out their wallet and hand us money for our products or services. Everything on the left-hand side of that clock is on the keeping side. And so the litmus test is simply this. Pull out your marketing budget and ask yourself, what percent of my budget actually goes to attracting and what percent goes to keeping customers? And, you know, we've done this often to, you know, to groups and to um, when we're doing presentations online, things like that. And the, the typical responses come back. It's well over 90% of budgets, marketing budgets, are going to the attraction side. And what you just said is so true, Denise, is that, you know, we all intuitively know that our best customers, our best new customers are typically coming from referrals and from right. word of mouth. And yet – we rarely allocate the funds that we need to to foster these great relationships with our existing clients, like you just said. And I don't understand that. I mean, it's just, it's just so common sense. How can you not understand that the people who already know you, like you, trust you, they refer you, why aren't you taking better care of them? Listen, pick up the phone, say thank you, send them a thank you card, send them a cookie. Make sure that they know how much you appreciate them. It's not difficult to do. And it really should actually just be part of your, your natural mindset, in my opinion. Yeah, I, you'll, get, you'll get an amen from me on that one. I mean, I completely and totally agree with you on that. Um, you know, I just think that it goes back to that, that whole thing of, you know, often we get so short-sighted. Um, we think we need to do something today, right? We've got to see the results today from what we're spending our money on. Um, but it's so counterintuitive to what really happens when we invest in those relationships, when we turn our customers into evangelists for our brands. Um, it really does revolutionize our entire organizations. It really does. Listen, we oh, man, our hour is gone. I may have to get you to come back in the new year and finish up this conversation. Listen, before I let you go, is there anything really important that I missed in this conversation that you would like our audience to know about? Um, I would just say this, you know, kind of if I were to leave with one simple thing that people could grasp or hold on to, it's this, that, you know, if we want long-term strategic results, we must force our thinking to be long-term and our strategies to be long-term. And give up the 60, 60 object syndrome. It's hard to do. Listen, I've been guilty. I've invested in things that sounded terrific. Copywriters earn their keep. Trust me, they do. But then I didn't really do anything with them, and I'm still mad at myself about some of those because you know, it can get very expensive when you're investing in trying to better your business, but, and here's that acronym again, you don't take action. So pay attention to you know, the acronym AIDA, Attention, Interest, Desire, and Action. Listen, Wayne, before I let you go, uh, thank you for being here, but where can people find you again and where can they find your book? Which, by the way, I highly recommend. Well, thank you so much, Denise. The simplest place to find any more information on the book is yourfullcirclemarketing.com. All the information about the book and even about me and the company 
is right there on that one page. Great. Listen, I'm serious. I'm probably going to ask you to come back in the new year so we can kind of see where we're at, you know, what new ideas you've got, or, you know, basically now that this book has just come out, what kind of reaction you're getting and how people are actually being helped with it. I'd like, if you could come back with some case studies, that would be fantastic. Absolutely, Denise. I would, I would love that opportunity. Great. Well, listen, Wayne, thank you so much for coming back and speaking with me, and I thank you for all, every one of the terrific tips and the advice that you shared with our audience. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes, Prime, everywhere. You can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio, literally. Just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Wayne, thank you so much. Thanks, Denise. I've greatly enjoyed our conversation. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.